It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me Austin! Oh son of a bitch! What? It's me Austin! It was me all along Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother! Welcome everyone to Reliving the War here on the Grey Wolf Wrestling Network. My name is Nims Azor, joined as always by my partner in crime, Simon Tackler. We're doing a deep dive into the Attitude Era slash the... Did, did Simon, this is a good time to actually think about it. Did WCW name their era? I don't think they ever did. It was the <laughs> only era they were relevant and then they disappeared. Whatever that era was for WCW. The Monday Night War in general. Yeah, it's just the blanket statement of the Monday Night War. We are reliving it here on the Grey Wolf Network. And make sure you check the archives. We covered Bash of the Beach, uh, which is something that was groundbreaking, much like the Austin 316 at the King of the Ring pay-per-view, which we've covered in our first edition. But let's paint the picture. So WCW have just had Bash of the Beach, Simon. Uh, Nitro, I don't know, I haven't got the ratings figures in front of me, but you've got to say that, well, we, we agreed that WCW won, despite the fact that King of the Ring was the better pay-per-view last month, WCW made the bigger bang. Yeah, by this point, WCW is running away with the ratings. How is WWF going to combat this? Did they have anything up their sleeves? It feels like at this point in time, watching the pay-per-views back, WWF was just business as usual for the most part with hints of what was to come. They weren't directly responding to anything yet. An international incident is a mixed bag, but for the most part, it's WWF saying, nope, everything's fine. We're just <laughs> going to do what we do and it'll work. It really is too. And let's face it. I mean, with, we're, we're doing this entire pay-per-view series with the benefit of hindsight. So we can kind of go, hey, you know what? Like, how could you not see the NWO is going to be massive? When we covered Bash of the Beach, you can listen to it in the archives. It's not that good of a show. Not that good. Like, it was yeah. maybe the, um, the Flair Conan match, the Luchadors match to kick it all off. But other than that, Big Bubba versus um, John, John Tenter. Tenter. Yeah, not, not, the, not the sort of things that you sort of go back and rewatch. But um, you're right. This did seem business as usual. Now, I watched, I don't actually have a memory of watching this as a child. Like I, I think it was because the video store, the civic video near mum and dad's house had more WCW pay-per-views or maybe WCW's distribution was just a lot better than the WWF's were. Because I think, um, I remember seeing King of the Ring, but I don't remember international incident. Yeah. See, that's weird for me. My video store was WWF only. Like anytime <laughs> a WCW event showed up, it was weird. Here's the ones I remember showing up. Bash at the Beach 95 for some reason. Yep. And then Bash at the Beach 99 for That's... whatever reason. Like they <laughs> missed a bunch of years. No one where I grew up cared about WCW on pay-per-view. So I remember watching International Incident. But like I mentioned in the last episode, the videotape was either stolen or bought. So I only got to watch it once. So my memory of that main event was like this epic six-man. So I was excited to look at it again. Yeah, for me, it, it's interesting. Speaking of which, did you ever see that uh, there was always one that stood out? My wrestling section at the Civic Video was very, very small. It literally was condensed to about two or three facings uh, on one one bit of shelf space, and it was just all WCW um, with the odd, you know, uh, Best of Diesel video <laughs> thrown in, or like, you know, Bret Hart's Greatest Hits, where it's anything but his greatest hits and it's just matches with him taking on like uh, <laughs> the Mountie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All of these classic Coliseum exclusives. But uh, but look, let's get straight into this uh, pay-per-view. Now, I watched it on the WWE Network, as did you. And was it weird that the free-for-all prior to the intro 
had no sound. The, it opens cold with the contract signing of Jose Lothario and Jim Cornette. That is the intro to the pay-per-view. There was no epic video after we spent the episode about King of the Rings saying how great the production was. This must be the only WWF pay-per-view without a real intro. What on earth happened? Yeah, no sound, just this cold footage of the free-for-all. Just the cold footage of the free-for-all. And like you said, we were, we were talking about how it's night and day between WCW's uh, pay-per-view production values with yeah. the, the magnificent videos that WWE did, uh, WWF did at the time. How it was all... It, it made it feel like a huge deal. Whereas WCW, as I said last time, felt like a year 12 media project. Well, this seemed even worse than that because the international incident intro looked like a PowerPoint transition. Yeah, it's almost like they watched Bash at the Beach. That's the only response they made. They were like, oh, is that their production values? Cool, we're not trying at all for the next pay-per-view. Yeah, it was just one wipe and there's something that I just absolutely love from those pay-per-views in that era completely overhyped Vince McMahon. Didn't he just make it seem like we are just... It was almost as if it's the second second coming of Jesus. That's how big of a deal it was. Welcome, everyone, to British Columbia, an international incident. Yeah, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Every WWE pay-per-view should still open with Vince McMahon yelling, welcome, everyone, because you're right. That is the most epic thing. Like, nothing gets you more hype than that. You know, he almost made up for no video. Mm. There was a slight modification to the In Your House set. I don't know if you noticed it. Did you notice the Mountie at the door? Yes, because they were in Vancouver. (laughs) That made it international. They were in Canada and they had the Mounties. How did they not have Jacques Rougeau on this show? (laughs) Just book him for one night as the Mountie again. Absolutely crazy. But yeah, the crowd was, it was a jam-packed arena. I'm going to guess that uh, I'm going to guess that late 90s WWF had the same sort of international appeal that uh, early 2000s and mid 2000s WWE had for us because we've just been starved of it. Like right now, if you or I missed a WWE show, we'd, we'd be annoyed, but it's not like we're going to go, oh, well, you know, it'll, we'll just get next time, next year when they come to Rod Laver. So I'm assuming the crowd was jam-packed because this was like, oh, they never go out of the country. Yeah, it's still a big deal at this point when they would travel anywhere, you know, whether it was Canada or Kuwait when they did their tour there or their weird European tours that they would do every now and then. (laughs) To have a pay-per-view as well is huge, even though it is, you know, just over the border in Canada. That gave Mm -hmm. the show a bit of a nice feel too. Oh, 100%. One thing before we get to any matches, got to point out too, Jerry Lawler's jokes are still bad. They were bad back then, but maybe it's now that I'm an adult, but now I'm realizing just how poor his his bar of comedy is. I zoned out on the commentary for this show, even though we praised Jerry Lawler at the King of the Ring for his great promo walking down the ring. During this show, nothing really caught my attention. Like it was good. It must have been good enough to not stand out, but it was also bad enough to not leave an impression either. Yeah, just to give you an idea of the stuff that he was throwing out was he mentioned the Vancouver Grizzlies, uh, which are now the Memphis Grizzlies in that brief window. So it just goes that snapshot in time where they were, a, where Vancouver briefly had an NBA team. But the best part is too, um, we'll get straight to the match. The Smoking Guns versus the Body Donners. This is peak late 90s wwe we have a very attractive female everyone look at it right now because she comes out with the smoking guns uh bart and billy and i don't remember billy gunn ever looking that much like he was a member of 90210 yeah he was a good looking guy he had the like parted hair (laughs) parted really young yeah that's what it was um yeah, this was about as bad as it got on this show. The Body Donners, it, it didn't seem to be... Uh, the Body Donners famously came into the WWE with Sonny as their manager. And Sonny has just seems to be, uh, pardon the pun, but the smoking gun that the WWF used to just pair with tag teams to sort of go, well, we need a little bit of zest. Everyone loves Sonny. Let's just put Sonny with her. And this was 
it was emphasized that this is a non-title match. Yeah, and once they said that, I thought, well, why would anyone care? Why ever have a non-title match on a pay-per-view? I think the crowd would have been really chuffed by that. Mm. It, and like you said, this was probably the worst match on the card. It was by no means a bad match. No. It was just, meh, the crowd definitely not into it. Absolutely not into it at all. Well, here's the thing. I had no recollection of the body donors ever being faces. <laughs> they were the good guys in this match. And I thought, I never remember them being good. Because in their pre-match promo, they acknowledged that they had left Cloudy behind. And mm-hmm. Cloudy was a man, a male wrestler who would dress as a female and was like the uh, sort the of the anti-Sunny. Yeah, the parody yeah, of Sunny. Yeah. And I think and they thought that was going to get the crowd behind them, but it didn't work. So now they're like, oh, we've got no Cloudy. We're serious. With the help of the fans, we're going to win. And mm, it didn't work. No, it really didn't at all. And it, it was a win for the Body Donners. But uh, there, was, there was some shenanigans on the outside where the ref was distracted by Sunny because it's the 90s WWF. She's an attractive woman. And the ref just has never seen one in his entire life, it seems. <laughs> yeah, and that just sort of ruins the flow of the match. No one can pay attention anymore. Um, actually, the only note of commentary I made was during this match where either Vince McMahon or JR was trying to make the point that there isn't a team quicker in the WWF than the Body Donners. And it was like, what? There's two kind of like chubby guys. Dr. Tom Pritchard, he wasn't that fast. But yeah, and then I wrote... This is the worst of mid-90s WWF. The teams and the gimmicks like this would be gone in a year, which is wild to think, you know, by 97, you wouldn't see this. I actually said the same thing to you in our chat, where I was just like, this match basically sums up everything that was mid-90s WWF. The mere fact that um, Butt and Billy Gunn are both wearing jeans and (laughs) cowboy boots and wrestling says it all. Yeah, like it's crazy to think that Billy Gunn would go from, yeah, wrestling cowboy to a member of DX in just over a year. And yeah, he would be one of the most memorable wrestlers of all time. As crazy as it is to say, it's absolutely true. More people would know Billy Gunn than, you know, 90% of wrestlers just because of how hot he was at that time. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and just to put it in perspective, more people would know of Billy Gunn's work than they would of Chris Candido's work. And if you put on paper who's the better wrestler, I don't think there's a lot of uh, of the smart fans. And when I say smart fans, I don't mean that the fans that disagree are dumb by any means. <laughs> you know, the smartened internet crowd would definitely say Candido 98 times out of, out of 100. Yeah, yeah. You could probably make the argument for Dr. Tom as well, but not Billy Gunn hitched his, you know, cart to the right wagon or whatever the right <laughs> whatever cowboy the is analogy would be and yeah and, uh, and, and actually we questioned it at the last wwf pay-per-view he hit the fame master they did call it the rocket dropper back then the rocket dropper yeah so they it wasn't mentioned the fame master yet. yeah yeah um we moved on to a little backstage segment with mr perfect as the backstage interviewer maybe it was because we were spoiled by bash of the beach but mr perfect is no mean gene yeah, he only makes one appearance, no mean gene. I think he might have made a good announcer or an interviewer eventually, but felt like Mr. Perfect could never let go of his in-ring career. He retired mm. with his injury, but then he would unretire and go to WCW. And yeah, it, it's a shame. He was really good in that role if he would have committed to it, but I don't think he ever felt comfortable doing it yet. And also, think- this promo... Jim Cornette claims that Jose Lothario pulled a switchblade on him and that's why he attacked him. I thought that was great reasoning. My personal favourite of the thing too was uh, Jim Cornette guaranteeing that they would win, that they would win. And because if they didn't, he would refund everybody at home yeah. <laughs> all their money for the pay-per-view. But um, it just, Camp Cornette consisted of Owen... Um, Vader and Bulldog, well, in this, at least in this incarnation, mm. Jim Cornette does all the heavy lifting in this promo here. And also, um, Diana Hart, who is British Bulldog's, her name escaped me for a second, British Bulldog's wife is there too. And British Bulldog makes the, he goes and points out 
this is no place for a woman. So she's going to stay here while we go out and fight in the main event. Yeah. yeah. And she just takes it. She's like, yep. She's just like, right. yep, this is correct. Yeah. yeah. 100%. <laughs> because she's Owen's sister and she's Bulldog's uh, wife. And she's like, yep, yeah, cool. That's Whatever. Right. Also, also uh, the promo here, Vader, this is when, because everyone remembers Vader from, you know, Attitude Era Vader, which isn't that good. And he's he was in weird feuds with Mark Henry and he was going for that weird gimmick where I'm a big fat POS and all that sort of stuff, which everyone remembers his WWF run. This is kind of near the start of his WWF run and he's still kind of a big deal. Yeah, he was positioned as like, you know, the next challenger for Shawn Michaels, which we'll get to next month. Um, but here it was all about Vader is going to hurt everyone and he's unstoppable. But I'm convinced if you watch Vader back it, with hindsight and no, take off the rose-tinted glasses of, oh my God, he was a monster in Japan and how good he mm. was in the ring because he was great in the ring. As a and character... And feuds in WCW and Yeah, with like that. Sting and Ric Flair is awesome and Mick mm. Foley. But you watch him as a character. He's so goofy and over the top that it just mm. throws me off because when you tell someone about Vader and then you show him a promo like this, it doesn't sync up. He's doing these weird things with his jaw and he's dancing around. He moves side to side like he's a, a Mario Brothers bad guy or something. Like, I don't know yeah. what he's doing half the time. Owen gives a really passionate director camera promo. So does Bullock. As I said, Bullock's like, you know, this is going to be such an intense fight. I'm leaving my wife here so she doesn't have to see the violence. Whereas Vader's just, like you said, he's like a Cooper Trooper, just sort of <laughs> yeah, bobbing he here is. and there in the background. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim Cornette is um, being dialed up to about 200. I, I don't know if this will translate because it's just audio, not video, but he's doing this thing where his jaw, where he's like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's really like, imagine my face doing that and you can probably yeah. picture what he's doing. It's weird. It's the equivalent where, uh, let's just say you've, you're, you're sampling at a buffet and you're like, hang on, that, that looks like, I think that's hash browns. And then you do that little bit of a taste. You're like, hmm, there's something on these hash browns. Yeah, like, mm, I, I, don't, I don't quite know what that is. <laughs> so maybe he's just been in catering and he's just like, you know what? I thought that was chicken, but it didn't taste like chicken. It's, yeah, yeah. Was, he's yeah. trying to figure it out still. I'm going to get a gif of that. I'll post it on social we'll just so everyone knows what we're talking about. Uh, that, that leads us to our next match. Now, this is a substitute match because uh, I, I forgot to mention earlier on, in, during the Smoking Guns versus Body Donners match, they mentioned that Jake the Snake Roberts is out with an injury. Mm. Now, I think, <laughs> now, obviously, with the benefit uh, of uh, being adults now and knowing of Jake's demons, unfortunately, uh, he, he's fallen off the wagon. So we, we were denied our chance to see Mankind versus Jake the Snake Roberts. Instead, we get one hell of a substitute. Mankind versus Henry O. Goodwin. Yeah. And you know what? As a kid, I didn't even realize that their names were Henry O. Godwin and Phineas <laughs> I. Godwin, like hog and pig. Now I look back <laughs> at it, I'm like, that's so dumb. It um, is so, so silly. Uh, did, did you find it, did you get a muting of the Goodwin's entrance as well? I thought that was just me. And then I remembered back to King of the Ring. They've redubbed their music. They don't let them use Country Boy, which was the Hillbilly Jim theme song. Of course. For some yes. reason, even though he's a big part of the WWE, whoever wrote that song must not want them to use it. Because I would have would have assumed that was, you know, a Jimmy Hart special. Yeah, yeah. Or or even a Jim, Jim Johnson. Or a Jim Johnson. And but you know, that, that was a weird yeah. one. But um then Mankind comes in and it's the it's still in the early days of Mankind. Yep. where he's deranged. He only has one... Po he's got an ear missing. It's brought up by JR. He's a freak. But um, i got to say, this match was surprisingly quite good. It wasn't too bad. I was really expecting it to be terrible. But, man, you sort of forget how good Mick Foley was in his prime, like here in the ring. He was a good wrestler. Even without gimmicks, he could have a good brawl. And Henry O. Godwin holds his own here it's fine like it's not lighting the world on fire but it's good it, it definitely doesn't it's not something you need to be telling everyone quick you really gotta 
run it, put this on, on number one of your top five Henry O. Godwin matches. <laughs> probably but, could. Um, you probably, you probably could. You actually probably could because it's not that bad. Like I even wrote like in my notes, it actually says here, surprisingly better than expected. Um, but you can tell too that this match, uh, I reckon Henry O probably tried his hardest here because he realized, hey, I wasn't going to be on this pay-per-view. So uh, it's yeah. the age old, it's the anyone that's worked that's had to take a day off where they say, you know, never take a day off in case your replacement's better than you. I think uh, Henry always thought, well, you know what? I've got, um, Jake's taking a day off. I've better be better than him. And the other cool thing that a lot of people might not know about Mankind, uh, his early forays where he was still wearing uh, the brown ring gear, is that he had an entrance theme and then a more upbeat exit theme after he won. Yeah, so I think... uh early part of the character is that he was like a deranged genius and Mm. part of it was that he loved classical music so his entrance theme was one and then yeah the exit theme was like calm because that would calm him down it was a nice little touch i don't think it ever caught on enough for them to to keep it but these early pay-per-view appearances it's kind of cool to see that because it throws you off when you hear him win the match and you're like, oh, is that his music? And you're like, oh, that's right. The two-song gimmick, which they never really acknowledge, do they? On never. commentary or anything, no. The only reason that I even know that is because Jim Johnston... Double the, J. The, the other, the numerous <laughs> double Js. Yeah. But um, he actually brings it up himself uh, in his DVD that was out. And I'm pretty sure you can find it on the WWE Network uh, where he sort of said, you know, he, Mick actually pitched it to us like, I'd like... You know, as you said, I want a sense of calm after I win, a bit more upbeat because I'm happy that I've won the match, da 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 da, da which was uh, pretty pretty cool to sort of see. But we'll move on to our next little segment, which was the WWF Superstar Hotline with Brian Pillman and a lot of complaints that people have about the WWF, uh, WWE being scripted these days. Like, you know, oh, they don't let people talk. Well, back then they let Brian Pillman talk because <laughs> it, it was, uh, they'd be, he couldn't do that in, to, in 2020. Yeah, and here's why we said that King of the Ring was almost the start of the Attitude Era. Brian Pillman shows up, starts saying whatever he wants, things that he never would be able to get away with in an earlier era of the WWF. And you're right. Mm. He says here that all the body donors want is some TNA from Sonny. Of course, yep. you know what that means. And Mm -hmm. then he also said that the body donors want to double team Sonny and the commentators just cut him off right there. Completely stopped him right there. And then you have the Vince McMahon apologizing. Oh, we're that uh, that, that may have been offended by that. But um, what I found really interesting was, do you think both split screens could hear each other? Because, You've got oh. Brian Pillman going completely bonkers, saying whatever comes into his mouth. And then on the other screen, you've actually got Sonny with the smoking guns also on the phone. Oh, so, you reckon it was a fake split screen and that was Pillman just messing with everyone? It might have been. Look, I, I don't know. But if, but if Sonny could hear the sort of stuff that was being said, I don't think she'd be reacting like she did on that split screen. But uh, we'll move on to our next match. This caught me by surprise because I had no idea this even happened again. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Mark Merrow with yeah. Sable. Now, now, yes, I know. I know what you're thinking. No, no, no. You guys already covered this. You did this, guys. Why are you retreading old memory? No, no, no. This happened again. The rematch. Like, I think a lot of people know their King of the Ring match, but I didn't even remember either that there was a, a rematch from Austin Merrow and it happened at International Incident. It wasn't a bad match. I'll just start with Austin's entrance, though. He still yep. doesn't have the glass breaking, despite 316 being a thing. He still doesn't have the goatee. He was still doing yep. the mo and the chin strap. And mm-hmm. he wasn't wearing plain black tights. He had a I logo put, on his gear. I wrote that down to Stone Cold. It actually had a white logo with Stone Cold written on it, slapped straight on his posterior. I, it looked like, you remember, do you remember how uh, later on in Goldberg's WCW career, they put his tattoo on the back of his tights? Did they? I remember them doing it on his shorts in WWE. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking. But of yeah, yeah, WWE, I know it, yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah. and it just, and it, it was so jarring because I'm so used to seeing Austin, black boots, black tights, bald head, that's it. So when you see the giant stone cold logo. And not even a known logo. That logo yeah. is not on a t-shirt anywhere. It's not the skull. No. It's nothing. It was just some weird design. It looked like a creator wrestler design. Like, you know, like you'd get in like SmackDown. Yeah. But how's this? This is, the, this is the best part. This goes to show you one bit of commentary that stood out for me at the very start. During Stone Cold's entrance, JR says he's destined for superstardom in, in reference to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, this is the bit, obviously, JR knows something that we all didn't and he could like, yes, we all know in hindsight, yes, Stone Cold would be the biggest thing in pro yeah. wrestling since Hulk Hogan. However, Vince McMahon then segues into saying, and you can also say that for his opponent. <laughs> <laughs> when Mark Miro comes out. You could tell JR was really trying to tell Vince backstage, man, this Steve Austin guy is going to be everything. He's going to be huge. And, J- and Vince was like, look, I'm telling you, it's Mark Mero. Mark, Mark Mero is the man in this feud. What are you talking about? Austin? Oh, look. Mate, do you think maybe they've had that conversation after King of the Ring 96 where JR's like, did you see? The guy can go. He's like, yep. And Vince's like, oh, you know, he's a bit bland. And then JR's like, well, I'll tell you what, what if we, maybe we'll put a logo on his tights. Will that, will that make you come around a little bit? He's like, okay, well, let's do a duo. But put the logo on his tights. We'll see if he can hang with Mark Mero. <laughs> because Mark Mero had it all, though, for Vince, who was still behind the times. He had a mullet. He had a goatee. He, you know, had abs. He was very oiled up. Like, Mark Mero looks like a WWF guy. Mark Mero looks like the sort of guy that, you know, when you tell non-wrestling uh, non-wrestling fans that you like wrestling and they're like, oh, what, you mean the big muscly dudes with oil and, the, and all? Yeah, that's... Mark Mero is the stereotypical wrestler kind of thing. But one thing that I did notice was pre-neck injury Austin, he could tear the house down. This guy's a technical mastermind. Oh, he was so good. And, and like, if you're a young fan and you only know Austin from highlights or, you know, punching and kicking and Luthers pressing, he was a great wrestler. He was always known as an in-ring technician. JR even says on commentary here, um, he says, as technically sound as anyone we've ever seen in years. And that's in reference to Stone Cold Steve Austin. So if yep. you think he was all just punching and stunners, pre-neck injury, man, he could hang with anyone. And, and like, legit, this match, like, I know we're saying things about Mark Merrow in jest, but he was a great athlete. He was a high flyer. He was considered one of, you know, WCW's best athletes. He could do 450s mm. and shooting star presses. Man, Austin holds his own in this kind of match. Austin really does too. Uh, like you said, Mark Mirror is a fantastic dance partner. You know how you have those combinations of wrestlers that seem to have great matches that you wouldn't think of it, um, whereas you sometimes have two great wrestlers that just don't seem to click. Um, in terms, I, I sort of think of the Eddie Guerrero-Chris Benoit match at ECW One Night Stand 2005. Sounds like a great match. It's a horrible match. Mm. It's just not a good match. However, when you think of Randy Orton versus Christian, great set of matches. Like, this is one of those Randy Orton-Christian combinations. Merrill and Austin, they could go. And the, the, the cool thing is, you see that sprinkle of ruthless SOB Austin where he does a couple of dirty moves. He does stuff where he wants to hurt Mark Merrill. Like, he, do, he does a slingshot on the outside. And the commentators call, oh, he's this dastardly Austin. How oh, he wants to hurt Mark Merrow. He doesn't want to fight. He wants to, he wants to hurt him. He's stone cold. <laughs> yeah. And they love it. And you know what? There's one point where after he, he cheats, I forget what he does, but he then gets on the second rope to say, you know, oh, look, I'm so good. And the crowd mm. cheers. It's mainly mm. guys, but it's there. So even though he did the Austin 316 promo at King of the Ring a month before, they haven't done much with him on TV, but there are people in the crowd who are starting to get behind it. You pointed this out uh, and when we were talking about King of the Ring 1996 and it stood out for me like a sore thumb. No kick to the gut for the stunner. Oh, it's so weird. He just it's picks so him up strange. off the... He'll do a move, then pick the guy up, then do a stunner. Like he did it in this match too. It's odd. It's so strange to watch. Once you point it out, 
it's not one of those things you just don't, uh, you can't unsee it. But um, I thought it was a great match. It just goes to show, um, like you said, we, we do talk about Mark Merrow and Jest, but uh, he was able to, unlike uh, some of the other flubs that have been through the WWF system, he could hang. He could actually, if you saw a Mark Merrow versus someone, he wasn't like a Val Venus or a guy that was just there in the hey, ring with someone else. don't say anything bad about Val Venus. We'll get to him <laughs> in a couple of years. But um, he, it actually, they felt like there were stakes to the match, yeah. whereas in, the previous one didn't because we knew it was a fill-in match. We knew Mankind would win, whereas this one actually seemed like it could go either way. But um, uh, a great showing by Austin. And a very, like you said, a very, very slow rise of Austin. Like we saw at King of the Ring 96, We've just put him on the low burn. We haven't quite got the flame going, but there's that little spark there with Austin. We move on to Goldust versus Undertaker here. Before we get to the match, the add in Hmm. between for the next night's Raw, Ahmed and Sean versus Smoking Guns for the tag titles. What a great video. Like we said, there was no video at the start, but the video package for the next night's Raw is so epic. It's also very 1990s too. Like it's got the real Saved by the Bell, different <laughs> shades of audio and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, different different layers of footage, but it looks amazing. So, um, Todd yeah, Pettingill was... doing the voiceover too. I think <laughs> Todd Pettingill got a bad rap for years and then people realized like who grew up with him like us were like, that guy was really good at his job. Why do people make mm. fun of him? And now they use him on, you know, on occasion again. He's so good. Well, they used him for NXT in your house. Absolutely. And he did the In Your House DVD a few years ago, and you forget how good he actually is at that job. So, yeah, so I'm, shout I'm out to Todd Pettingill. Todd Pettingill, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll move on to Goldust versus Undertaker. Now, this is, again, this is another match that sums up 90s WWF because you got two. If you want to talk about gimmicks, you've got two of the most furthest gimmicks. Undertaker's still doing his dead man shtick here too. Paul Bearer's there with the urn, things like that. Goldust is peak Goldust here with the full, everything lights up. Gold, Marlena, uh, Marlena comes out smoking the cigar. It's very Hollywood, you know. They still the have the though, Usher with Goldust as well. Yeah. The movie yeah. Usher. The thing though is, there's so much character work that's being done by both of these wrestlers. And we know that both of these guys are fantastic wrestlers. There's so much of not wrestling happening at the start of this match. Yeah, it's kind of weird because The Undertaker would start to show his in-ring athleticism and the other side to his work in a few years. Goldust would wait even longer. It's a shame these guys never met at any of those intersections where they were... Mm wrestling a different style they never feuded again either isn't that weird yeah. they only feuded in 96 never again it's such so strange especially when you consider how limited the wwe's uh, wwf's roster was around that time but like i said it was a bit plodding and slow because taker is still doing his taker shtick where he's the dead man he's a wrestling zombie kind of thing and there's, there are some elements of... There's so much character work that's been done here. But Taker still gets his arsenal in. Like, yeah. he's still got the... the, the um, You know, the, the, the moves that we know and love. Yeah, it, I thought it was good. I know it was slow. I don't mind slow matches. I think oh, yeah, we grew yeah. up watching him. We're used to it. At one point, Undertaker does a choke slam to Goldust. And lands him butt first onto the steps, onto the outside. <laughs> and I didn't know if it was a mistake and Goldust didn't take it on his back, but the commentators sold it like that. They're like, oh, it was just like an atomic drop right on his tailbone. And it was like, what? Um, I they, actually, they I've actually got it. that written down too. Like I've actually got chokeslam to Goldust on the steps, question mark. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird choice. <laughs> I think in their head it sounded cooler. He's like, I'll chokeslam mm. you and you'll sit on the steps. Um, another one, another one too, while we're on the topic of steps, Marlena, as Goldust, is, is like on the ground in pain. Taker has got the steps, the steel steps, uh, above his head, which I actually don't know how much they weigh, but they don't look like they'd be easy to carry. I've heard He's them got... call them 300 pounds, 200 pounds, 500 mm. pounds. <laughs> 
but like he's holding it above his head like he's about to yeah. just drill gold dust and Marlena is covering gold dust like you know no 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 like shielding gold dust and it's just so funny because like JR who's pleading is like you can't hit Marlena you can't do it like take is actually considering am I going to do this he's a zombie he doesn't care he was that's true yeah it's just it's just two lines he doesn't see gender it's just you're either dead or you're alive (laughs) yeah (laughs) living or dead um also in this match even though the undertaker works it's so slow do you notice how into it the crowd is though anytime he finally throws a punch or hits a clothesline or does the old school they go crazy like the undertaker really did so much with so little for so long before he started you know showing more of what he could do when he didn't have to at this point and that's that's the funny the funny thing because now we look at Undertaker matches because the Undertaker's a legend. Like, but this is five years, no, six years into his career uh, in the WWF, and he's just like he's. It'd be like now, like we were lucky enough to see you know Shawn Michaels wrestle in his prime, uh, and and also able to see him wrestle in his second chapter, mm. which no one could no one could think that would live up to his prime. Whereas this is the Undertaker in his prime, and he's not quite the greatest. Like he doesn't have the this. He's just the Undertaker. He was just a special gimmick, but he's not as special as he is now. I think that's why he was able to last so long because he didn't give it his all. Like not not saying that he was lazy. It was all by design. But he hmm. didn't go full throttle for a few more years. So he was able to get a few more years out of his career because yeah, yeah. six years in. Nine, late 96 he's not doing anything it's great yeah and and he and he's being a bit like you said he's being a bit less uh he's working a little bit more of the wrestling into it like you go watch his matches with hulk hogan oh, uh God. in in the 1990 1991 so it's literally straight up cartoon character like yeah. oh who's this who's this dead guy da 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 but um, it, it like I said, this match does ramp up in the end. It's a it actually turns out really really good, and it finishes with a mankind DQ because mankind comes up from under the ring, and causes all uh, all amount of havoc here. Yeah, b- before that though, just before they get to the ending, Undertaker hits a small package. Only time I've ever seen him do it. And that <laughs> blew my mind. So he, he was throwing in hints of his later technical skills. But Mankind coming up through the ring was funny because he did it with a box cutter, left yeah. the box cutter there, and the ref and the had ref to walk over, was... kick it, to Paul Bearer who grabs it and puts it into his pocket. It was all very slick, but also like ruined the mistake of Mankind because he was just using a little orange box cutter. Yeah, literally the same sort of stuff that you would see at a Coles to open up fried, uh, like, uh, packs of frozen peas. Under, yeah. <laughs> um, mankind's using to do that. And then there's shenanigans. It's going on. What's going on here? And all of a sudden, Undertaker appears at the other end of the ring mm. with, I'm assuming, another box cutter. Another These are box, box cutter. cutter central. <laughs> That's, oh, no. They could explain it in character. Paul Bearer grabbed the box cutter and box he threw cutter. it under the ring to the Undertaker's. Like, now you surprise him. Anyway, this leads to a massive brawl between Taker and Mankind. Mm. They go all over the arena to the point where the camera cuts out. Now, this I use air quotes there. Did it? Is this by design or do you think that they actually couldn't get a camera out the back? Yeah, they cut so they could go to the pre-recorded footage of them brawling backstage. There we go. There we WWE go. WWE loves that trick. They anytime the camera cuts, it cuts because then they've got the pre-recorded brawl. They love it. <laughs> um, the funny thing too, there was then a little SummerSlam ad thrown in between as well. Yep. And obviously, being 1996, the Olympics are a very big thing. This is the same Olympics where Kurt Angle won a gold medal with a broken freaking neck, as he so famously says. But um, the whole thing is Olympics-themed. I love this ad. WWE would go back to the Olympic theme years later. But in Mm -hmm. 96, this was fun. You had all the superstars in different um, Olympic games. I forget who was doing what. I know Shawn Michaels did, like, pole vault or something. Yeah. Austin was was there with a shot put, which is a a very odd visual. But um, Oh, Ahmed Johnson running through the hurdles. That was a good sight gag. That was pretty funny. 
That's right. But uh, yeah, the SummerSlam ad was great. Then it comes back to, I think it comes back to more brawling because I've got this written down here. Vince's face after the cutaway to the Undertaker and Mankind backstage brawl was just something that needs to be made into a reaction uh, GIF file because he's just so perplexed. Like, they were, they were brawling in, in, I think they got in the boiler room. Yeah, nice little hint there. Foreshadowing, of course, in hindsight, we know. But it was really weird that they were like, and they're fighting in the boiler room. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? You it know sounds... what's funny? I never knew and I still don't know what a boiler room is. I only know yeah. it in the context of a WWE arena. Yeah, I'm assuming it's a room with a boiler. That's just me doing the math. But yeah, yeah. the but context what's of why boiler? it would be that, yeah, like why does it need to be there? Unless you're on a submarine, I don't know. I don't I quite know, know the ins and outs of it. But um, speaking of video packages, we get into the meat and potatoes of the main event. This is something else that when they got to the main event, I actually sort of looked at my watch and I'm like, I don't feel like I've been watching a pay-per-view that long because it's a really short pay-per-view. It's two hours. Yeah. I I don't think it's a bad idea. I think that was the original idea with In Your House. They were going to be shorter and cheaper. And cheaper, yeah. Just so they can build up. Because WCW started doing ultimate pay-per-views. So then uh, they would be... Because wasn't it... WWF had four pay-per-views. Then went to five with King of the Ring. Yep. Then all of a sudden WCW did six pay-per-views. Like bi-monthly. Vince upped the ante with a couple of In Your Houses here and there. WCW then did monthly, all of a sudden forced the hand. So everyone wins in the end. But we get a pretty cool video package here between the uh, that sort of sets up the main event. Here's the fun part too. We mentioned this in our King of the Ring uh, episode. The Warrior, you can tell they're really, really putting all their eggs in the Warrior basket. One pay-per-view later, didn't get a payoff because Warrior decides to am-scray a little bit. So you... just think of just think of what that team could have looked at because you've got Camp Cornette at this point in time up against uh, HBK, Ahmed Johnson, and Psycho Sid. Pretty good team. But could you imagine what the actual main event could have been if Warriors stuck around? Yeah, to be fair, like it, this felt like counter-programming to the Bash at the Beach six-man. And I think WWF thought if we put Sean, Ahmed, and Warrior on a team, and we got the other team, you know, Vader, Bulldog, Owen. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And we even said Warrior was one of the standout performers at King of the Ring 96. Like, they made huge. him look like the biggest star. And he was getting the biggest reactions. And just a month later, he had to go and Warrior himself again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, the amount of times this guy has just left promotions in the worst way possible. For whatever reason, Vince McMahon was very forgiving to this guy mm. and just kept bringing him back. We're watching it in hindsight. You can kind of see why, because it's like, man, if you just get your head on right, like you would yeah. be the biggest star even in 96. And he the, now, just couldn't he, ever do it. I was listening to Grilling JR recently. They did a great episode about Ultimate Warrior. I have never mm-hmm. heard a meaner podcast about a dead person in my life. <laughs> JR is ruthless. But anyway, this time period, uh, Ultimate Warrior's father passed away. Warrior said he missed shows due to his father's funeral. WWF and JR still held on to this narrative. Warrior told them that he had no relationship with his dad. So therefore, he was just lying. He didn't really grieve for his dad. He didn't go to the funeral. He was just lazy. And JR still held held on to that theory in 2020. Even (laughs) after the guy's dead, you can't just say, ah... Maybe we were harsh. Maybe, Maybe we were, we were harsh. Like, just yeah. because he didn't have a relationship 20 years ago didn't mean he wasn't grieving the death of his father. Like, that's so cold. But yeah. anyway, that's what happened. We've seen, though, J- 2020 JR is an <laughs> odd cat, to put, it, to put it nonetheless. Look, he's had we hardships going... in his life. He's loose now. He's just yeah. going out in a blaze of glory. Um, <laughs> and, and also, when they suspended him, the condition was they would bring him back. They were planning on bringing him back, but Warrior would have to agree to a $30,000 bond for every show he appears at. So oh, he wow. knows shows, they get thirty grand. And I'm guessing Warrior was like, nah. No. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so, you're right. In the video, we saw Gorilla Monsoon, the in-storyline president, suspend Warrior. And now Sean and Ahmed had no, no third man. 
Who was it's, the it's third man? It, yeah, I know. Same it's exactly the, the WWF's version of who is the third man, and it's Psycho Sid. And the cool thing is, it's the Bobby Heenan. Uh, I, I wrote down here. Jr. did the is playing the Heenan role, re Sid, because he's like, can they trust Sid? Yeah, because like when we saw Sid in '95, just for some context for people who don't know, Sid was Sean's bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Sean loses the match at WrestleMania 11 against Diesel. The next night, Sid snaps and power bombs Sean like 10 times yeah. and injures him. So they they weren't friends. Like there would be no reason why Sean would pick Sid here, but he did because he needed muscle. Can I just say that promo that they record where Sean and Ahmed reveal Sid and they're doing split screen and Jim Cornette reacts to it is brilliant like that's <laughs> such a good moment where they turn and Sid turns around and Jim Cornette loses his mind Sid is underrated that's what it's I also... kept making note of like he was so entertaining well that's what I also made note of too because so if you look at the participants in this match Vader uh, is is still a very big deal and continued to be a big deal even post WWF. Like when he left WWF, he still got a good run in Japan. He was still considered a legend. HBK, we've, we can't say enough good things about HBK. Um, Owen Hart, uh, may he rest in peace, like cut a career cut way too short. Everyone has nothing but good to say about him, both in ring and out. Bulldog, a absolute tragedy. Same deal. Uh, he goes in. The, he still goes into the Hall of Fame as a legend. Mm. Um, Warrior, we mentioned. He still like he sort of made, except with Jr. Obviously, but <laughs> he sort of made good with the WWF because yeah. got to be in the Hall of Fame. A legend, no matter award. what. Yeah, they they name an award after him. So in the annals of time, he still looked upon favorably. Sid, um, Psycho Sid obviously went to WCW, was a big part of WCW in 2000, and he's still um, very, look, very favorably looked upon, even after that horrible leg injury they had in WCW as well. But Ahmed Johnson, a huge deal in international incident and in this era of WWF, but just disappears. Uh, yeah, he's a shame. Like, as a kid, I loved Ahmed. And when I watch him loved back, yeah. there are so many moments where you see the glimpse of potential and you're like, man, this guy should have been massive. I don't think cool it was anyone. Cool Awesome finisher. The yeah, Pearl, the Pearl River, River Plunge. Plunge. Double underhook, sit-down powerbomb. Looked awesome. Yeah. Do spine busters. He could do dives. He would take risks. He was crazy. Um, I, I think Jim Cornette once said about Ahmed, you couldn't understand a word of his promos, but he looked like he meaned it. And that's what mattered. <laughs> Whatever Ahmed was saying, you're like, yeah, man, that's true. Whatever you said. Like those classic Warzone video game promos from Ahmed Johnson. It sounded tough. It's a shame. He's the one lost to time. But mm. at this moment in 96 International Incident, that face team is as cool as you get. And I'll be honest, I know... Savage, Luger, and Sting are the biggest stars in some ways, like as a collective. That's a bigger three-man yeah, yeah. team. In 1996, this was the cooler team. Sid, Ahmed, so, and Sean. That crowd, that crowd is going bananas. So Vince McMahon is getting so pumped over HBK in his entrance. But here's the thing, and this is going to sound so weird to any new listeners that have... that. Uh, or anyone that hasn't lived through, or has actually lived through the Attitude Era, but didn't sort of um, pre, doesn't know much of pre-Michael's work during the mid-90s, WWF. HBK, massive, massive fan favourite in Canada. Yeah, you're right, actually. I didn't even think of that. They're the in Canada. Barricade. They jump over the barricade to get him. Yeah, like a rock star. They just bring down yeah. the barricade. Kids are falling everywhere. Sean's People loving it. People are touching like, him. Oh, Sean man. is absolutely smiling. Security guards, are, there's like no harm being done to Sean Michaels. There is so much love for him and the crowd is screaming. This is literally like he is a rock star. Yeah. Vince McMahon loves 96 Sean Michaels. The most charismatic. <laughs> the most blah, blah, blah. The most the everything. Kid, the <laughs> boy, when he was 12 years old, the boy had dream. Oh, it was, he's just, it's so crazy. But um, we'll get to the match because 
the segments between Shawn Michaels and Vader, this is what made Shawn Michaels so good. Every opponent, no matter a huge guy like Vader or a bulldog or a small guy like Brett, he would always look like a million bucks and bring them up to his level. Yeah, Shawn Michaels in 96, the quality and range of opponents he had and the variety of matches he had with all of them is what makes that as good as anyone's prime ever. Like that year he had. And in this match, yeah, he gets to prove it against three of those people, Bulldog, Owen, and Vader. His chemistry with Vader is so good. It's almost perfect big man, little man, the stuff they did together. And I've just written down here, Michael's Vader, fantastic. This would obviously lead to a... Did that even... Did that lead to any... um, A WWF title run? Um, They had the one match at SummerSlam. So we'll get to it next month. It's just Vader, Sean, one match. It was meant to be a three-match feud for different reasons. It never ended up being that. Sean supposedly wasn't happy with a few mistakes in the match. But that match from SummerSlam holds up too. Like when we get to it, and hopefully everyone watches that match too, Sean and Vader should have had the three-match series. That would have been considered classic. Because that's the, that's the sort of thing that I was sort of thinking while watching it. Because I'm just like, Michael's Vader is fantastic. How do they not milk more out of this? And how did Vader go from Vader and WWF Vader in 1996? Streets ahead in terms of stock value compared to what Vader was like in 1997. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get to day. it. It all falls apart at SummerSlam in <laughs> one moment, which I don't want to oh. spoil. Hopefully everyone just follows along. Yeah, yeah, follow along with that one. But Michael's Vader is fantastic. Oh, so you good. talked about you talked about how Ahmed Johnson looked like a superstar. Ahmed Johnson takes takes Camp Cornette to Suplex City. That's how <laughs> good he is. Like, did you see how he suplexes? I lost my mind. Ahmed gets in the ring and hits a triple German suplex on Owen Hart or Bulldog, whoever. And I was like, oh my god! It's I've never stim- seen anyone do it in '96. It is also the stiffest suplex combination you'll ever see. Owen looks like he should be completely ragdolled, turned into mush at the end of it. But man, oh man. And this was, this was what, what was interesting too. It, this was a very... The, the crowd, at no point in time, are they not invested in this match. There's no boring aspect. It is just zero to 100 from the bell ring. They love it. And a good six-man tag is as good as any kind of match. Um, we saw it in the Evolution era. We saw it with the Shield. Six-man mm. matches are so much fun. I know they can't really get away with doing it on a pay-per-view now as often, like a random six-man like this, but they yeah. should. Because look at what these guys got to do. And, you know, someone like Ahmed or Sid gets to hide their weaknesses and just tag in and do their best stuff. So good. Absolutely. So, because let's face it, it's the only time you're going to see Bulldog... Uh, he gets a lot of time to shine in late 90s WWF, but this is, it's like the last pay-per-view. We, I don't think, we even mentioned it too. I don't think anyone thought Bulldog's going to win the WWF title, but here, when you actually think that Bulldog and Camp Cornette is going to win, it's dialed up a notch. Yeah, you know they can take this one because it's a six-man, maybe a title isn't on the line. It's there could really... be some form... Yeah, like you said, uh, there's a, it's up for grabs. And the strange thing too is uh, the fact that this is a pay-per-view that doesn't have the WWF title on the line. Yeah, it's interesting for this time period to not have a title match. To have the champion on the show, but just be in a different type of match, to be in a six-man. I don't think they ever did a six-man prior or after until a very long time. Like I said, you know, maybe involving The Shield as a main event. This might be one of the only WWF six-man main events. What's actually really funny too is the only time there is a match that titles are physically present is the tag team match and it's a non-title match. (laughs) What was with that? Who was the IC champion? Was it one of the... No, it was Ahmed, of course. No title match on this show. No title matches, yeah. It's just so bizarre, isn't it? Why wouldn't um, you put the tag titles on the line? They should have just made that a tag title match. That's very Yeah, it's strange, but... um, What about... um, I just wanted to say, oh, what was the note I had about Ahmed? Another crazy thing he did. He was sitting in the corner and Vader went to do a splash. Ahmed catches Vader sideways in a crossbody, then slams him. 
Then slams him, yeah. My God, Ahmed, Ahmed Johnson. Ahmed, Ahmed really had so much. Like, he, he was picking up Vader. Like, not that he was, like, doing hurricane runners on him or anything like that. But he, but, but going from um, Vader Michaels to Vader Ahmed, it was like two freight trains going at each other. And then we haven't even mentioned Sid in this match. Sid just comes in and does the generic sort of big man role where it's just, and the crowd eats up every last drop. He gets a hot tag and clothesline, clotheslines all three bad guys and gets as big as a reaction as you've ever heard. Just simple, big clotheslines and they love it. And then at another point, he comes in and just hits three choke slams. Same thing. The crowd loves Sid. It's just such a, such a good moment because it's, it's hot for every single match. Like it's just so good, and it, and it it lives up to it. Like we we talk about, like you said, this is a better six man match. Uh, obviously, there's a better aftermath at Bash of the Beach, but uh, you're right. This one is a much better six man match than the uh, WCW Bash of the Beach one. Do you think? I wonder if younger fans can even imagine that. But that in the '90s, WWE was seen as the work rate promotion in terms of their main <laughs> event picture it was always like oh you know you're gonna re- get a really good match whereas w- wcw was all about the story main event match yeah but it's funny yeah yeah WWF, like, <laughs> we have better matches like yeah no one would imagine that now yeah whereas on wcw so it's like how's Ke- who's kevin sullivan gonna bring into the dungeon of doom to take down hulk hogan <laughs> exactly <laughs> One last one, uh, like you said, Sid with the hot tag. It was kind of like you know, do you remember the old WCW um, like revenge games on Nintendo sixty four when you had your finisher done uh, like to, to the max? You could sort of, if you had one that was one a quick fire one, you could sort of sneak in one or two finishes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what Sid does in this match. Basically, it's like he's he's on the apron just taunting. Yeah. They've tagged him in. Just like choke slam, choke slam, choke slam, bang. But uh, the match ends with a Vader bomb on Shawn Michaels. And I've got to say, Shawn looks like he's just been hit by a car at the end of it. Yeah, he gets flattened by that Vader bomb. And then there's a bit of a brawl afterwards, which isn't pretty. Not the best brawl, but... It all ends with the bad guys going to the outside and Sean doing a dive over the ropes like The Undertaker, like a no-hand mm. dive. Not a move he would do that often, but man, that was massive too. Good way to end it, even though the good, good guys to, lost. Yeah, good way to... But like, it, this is the thing. It's, it's the lasting memories. So mm. it's, it's like the last thing you see, Bash the Beach, ring full, of tr- ring full of garbage and the NWO standing tall. The last thing you see at the end of International Incident, all three, champ- well, the two champions, so you got Ahmed, Shawn Michaels, and Sid standing tall with their belts. Mm. And, you know, crowd goes home happy. But there is one last thing that is left. Crowd lit up for this match, absolutely. We get a final note on this pay-per-view looking ahead to SummerSlam. Like you mentioned, Simon, there was some foreshadowing earlier. Mankind versus Undertaker in a boiler room brawl. Yeah, we get the announcement from uh, Gorilla Monsoon. And we also get the hint that, you know, Vader wants a match with with Sean. We'd end up getting both those main events. SummerSlam 96 had a huge double main event. Vader Mm. and Sean, Mankind and The Undertaker. It's pretty big. It is massive. And you can sort of see the slow burn where the WWF is going. And like we mentioned at the end of King of Ring 96, Austin is not part of these plans. Yeah, Austin at, on this show, even though he gets the win against Mero, you are not thinking, oh, that guy's going to be the biggest guy on the show. You don't Correct. even think he has a chance still. You just think he's really good. Like, he's very good on this show as well. Not more than that. <laughs> Honestly, it all feels like Sid is going to be the next big thing again. Mm. It's 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 basically the Sid show. What's the what's Camp Cornet going to get up to next? Oh, Vader! Jeez, man, it's great seeing him in the WWF. But Stone Cold, once again, he's there. He's a bit part player, which sounds crazy to say that now. Yeah, he's a few months away. I think it really clicks for him when Bret Hart returns and they have their match at the Survivor Series. So we're in July here, still a few months away for Austin. But 
Sid might be the luckiest wrestler in the world in 96. He takes Ultimate Warrior's spot here and ends up as champion by the end of the year, which we'll get to. But man, when Sid catches fire, he gets hot. Like people love Sid and I love Sid. People love him. Remember, he was the Millennium Man in WCW. <laughs> yeah, you may not be as smart as I look, or whatever his great line was. <laughs> no, it's WCW. like, yeah, what was it? it? Was the line is like, it's like, uh, you are half the man that I am, and I have <laughs> half the brain that you do. <laughs> yeah, I have half the brain that you two have. And then you see Hall and Nash sort of look at each other and just go, "Did he actually just say that?" and just completely break down laughing but uh that is something for another day let's let's uh put the 2020 goals back on here what do we think of that paper how did it hold up for you simon i want to give it a thumbs up based on the strength of the main event alone and the main event i'm talking about the video package hyping it up the promos leading up to it the match and the post match like what a main event this main event I don't care about Ray versus Psychosis at Bash at the Beach. This is the best match out of these two mm. two shows. Like if we were yeah. comparing it to the previous, what a match! This might might be my favorite match I've seen so far in these retrospectives. Yeah, I, I agree with you there too. Not having the having the benefit of not seeing it uh, back in 1996 when I was still uh, still a kid, um, I didn't have any nostalgic eyes sort of looking back at this, but. Um, just I couldn't believe just from start to finish, except for literally except for the, the tag match at the start, I didn't walk away from any of those matches going, I can't believe I watched that. Whereas at the end of Bash the Beats, there were so many matches where you're just like, what the hell was who thought this would be a good idea to put this on pay-per-view? <laughs> yep. Hey, look, they kept it brief and it worked. It was two hours, only a few matches. And I gotta say, you're right. No match was outright horrible and every match got better and better. The last yep. three matches, seriously, Austin Mero, Goldust Taker, and then the six man. Do you think International Incident lived up to its tagline? The tagline was two hours of hard-hitting, high-flying, heart-stopping, pile-driving action. How, how long was the, uh, the Body Donners match? Because if you subtract <laughs> that from the, uh, from the two hours, I think it lived up to the hive. Yeah, it got close. An hour and a half of hard-hitting, high-flying action. <laughs> but uh, I think that did very well. Look, here's the thing. WWF, as you can tell, they've got a slow burn of what they want at SummerSlam. SummerSlam is going to be their big show. It's the WrestleMania of the summer, as we all know. And on paper, it looks like they're building to it very, very well because you've got, as you said, the double main event of Taker and uh, Mankind, the Boulder and Brawl, Vader versus HBK. They're going along nicely. However, in our next episode of Reliving the War, it's our WCW episode. And that WCW episode focuses on Hogwild, where you've got the NWO. I think this is, if Bash of the Beach was the spark, Hog wild, I think, is the thing that turns it into just a bushfire. Yeah, because let's face it, when you picture the NWO, you picture Hulk Hogan with the spray-painted title. How did yep. he get that title? Well, he got it at Hog Wild. I'll tell you what, I can't wait to watch Hog Wild, mainly because you know it's only going to be that one match between him and the Giant that's going to be worth talking about. The rest will probably be undercard filler, but hey, I look forward to that one. Uh, that one was on August 10th, 1996 from the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. So a couple of weeks away, Simon and I will be covering that here on Grey Wolf Wrestling. But uh, any final thoughts about international incident signing? If I was to pick the performer of the night, it's, oh man, like that, that's what I kept trying to think when I was watching it. I don't know who the best was. I think it's Shawn Michaels by default. Just the mm. great chemistry he had with everyone. And I would say, if anyone hasn't watched it, the promo video before the main event has a scene from an episode of Raw where the good guys and the bad guys get into a backstage brawl. Sid isn't there, but Sid then rocks up in a speeding car, jumps out of the car and oh, fights yes. all of the bad guys. That is a precursor to everything we would see in the Attitude Era. That, the way it was shot... Him rocking up in a car, jumping out and killing everyone. Like, my God, that blew my mind. That might be the best thing I saw on the show. 
not only that too, he's actually going at full pace. <laughs> he's putting him like this is. It's not like a stunt driver. This is actually Sid. He gets out of the car. It's him. Yeah, it's him. It's not like clever for no, no oh, camera cut there. No, this is that. I completely forgot about that. That is so crazy. Because, because I think Jerry Lawler even makes mention of like the man's a psychopath. Yeah. It was so cool. Like, man, yeah, Sid was awesome. Actually, one little thing before we leave, Simon. Our new boss, Ned, who very intently has one bone to pick with you for our Bash the Beach coverage. Oh, no. Doesn't like your beef with Mike Tanay. Oh, I hate Mike Tanay so much. I hate Mike Tanay. And I'm, and I'm annoyed because we're only going to get more of him as the luchadors <laughs> and the cruiserweights ramp up in WCW. So I'm going to be scrutinizing all of today's commentary just for Ned as we move forward. There you go. Take that with a fine tooth comb. But yeah, uh, make sure you do follow us on our social media channels. Follow Simon at Simon Tackler. That's Simon T-A-K-L-A. Follow me at Doc Nims, D-O-C-N-I-M-S on the Twitter machine. You can check out all the archives and everything else that Grey Wolf Entertainment have to offer at Grey Wolf ENT on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simon, pop it in your calendar. August, we've got uh, a paper to watch. Yeah, SummerSlam and Hogwild. I'm revving my engines as we speak. <laughs> and with that, we'll, we'll bid you farewell because I can't think of a better way to do it. All right, we'll see you guys next for Hogwild. <laughs> This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.